Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. It's a good read, I promise. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. All right, so thanks goodness the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets gave us a worthwhile game because the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets certainly didn't. Got to put most of that on the... Well, no, got to put all of it on the Milwaukee Bucks for that outcome. And I will get to that game before the episode concludes. But... I want to start with some news out of Dallas. And if Steve Mills has heard that Kristaps Porzingis is complaining about his role with the Dallas Mavericks, rest assured it brought a smile to his face because it's one of the big reasons he traded him to the Mavericks in the first place. For anyone who hasn't heard, ESPN is reporting that Kristaps doesn't feel he's a co-star with Luka Doncic for the Mavs, but an afterthought. That was the word used in the report. Kristaps certainly didn't play like a co-star in the Mavs' first-round series loss to the Clippers, averaging 13 points and five and a half rebounds in 33 minutes or so. At seven foot three with three-point range, he's considered a stretch four or five, which strategically should make him a decent fit next to Doncic. Guys with wingspans greater than their height are usually good shot blockers because players instinctively measure the space to get their shots off by the height of the player in front of them. It's not a measure thing, it's just an instinct thing. So when the defender's reach is a few inches greater, it throws off the offensive player. And with a player like Doncic having a shot blocker who can shoot threes and space the floor, you would think that would be ideal. Uh, The whole reach thing, it works for players of any size. 
Draymond Green is adept at blocking shots and making steals, in part because he's six foot six with a wingspan of seven feet and one inch. A dribble that would be safe against a normal six foot six player, the average wingspan is usually the same as someone's height, is not against Draymond. Kristaps, despite being super skinny, is not particularly quick or agile, which is why, despite his size and a seven foot six wingspan, that's three inches longer than his height, he does not make many steals and is slightly above average as a shot blocker. So, Steve Mills, you may remember, was the New York Knicks GM when they traded Porzingis to the Mavericks, along with Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, and Courtney Lee for. DeAndre Jordan, Wes Matthews, Dennis Smith Jr., the Mavs 2021 draft pick, and a top 10 protected pick in 2023. At the time, I doubted that Mills thought their pick would be higher than Dallas's, but that's how it turned out. The Knicks have both their pick at 19 and the Mavs pick at 21. If they do as well with those picks as they did with last year's 25th, taking a manual quickly, the Knicks will feel even better about what they got for Przingis. What Knicks fans didn't understand then, and I hope they understand now, is that the move was addition by subtraction. Along with getting off a couple of other weighty contracts and clearing the cat space that they now enjoy, it was also a matter of they couldn't build around Porzingis. Porzingis wanted star treatment from the Knicks management, allowances to have friends and family on the team plane and other perks, and they weren't willing. They, they were happy to keep him, but he was going to be a co-star on the Knicks' future team, whatever they built, and he wanted to be the star with allowances that would then have to be matched for whoever else they brought in. That's what the Knicks were anticipating. So one, they didn't want to set a precedent for other players to demand similar allowances. And two, they weren't convinced he was a franchise star. A co-star, potentially, but not the star. Saw him as, at best, a number two. And Porzingis very much wanted to be a number one. Now, the Knicks' front office saw him that way for good reason. And this is where New York basketball fans are a weird bunch. In ways, they know and recognize what good quality basketball is, what players who play with heart look like and act like. And yet they often side with players against Knicks management that don't deserve their devotion. Or maybe I'm taking that from the New York media's treatment of certain players and Maybe the fans kind of got, they, they bought into it. In any case, Chris Stapps was one of those players. He was nicknamed Porzingad by the tabloids and referred to as a unicorn for supposedly being unlike anything we'd ever seen before. Except we had, of course. A much better, tougher, more athletic, and overall more successful version in Kevin Garnett as a seven-footer who was better facing up as a jump shooter than posting up, thanks to his slender build. And how did Kristaps earn that nickname, Porzingad? 
by averaging 14 points and 7 rebounds on a 32-win team as a rookie, and then following that up with 18-7 and on a 31-51 and team his second year? I say that as a question, but it wasn't. That's exactly what happened. And I know Knicks fans have been desperate to feel they have someone special. I heard the same reaction to Julius Randle's season this year and tried to warn them well before Randle's header in the playoffs, but they wouldn't listen. Then or now. And posting good-looking stats in losing causes was not new for Porzingis. He'd done the same thing in Europe. His last year with, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Sevilla in the Spanish League before coming to the U.S., he was the leading scorer on a squad that went 12-22 and and barely avoided relegation. This is what I don't quite understand about the draft habits of NBA teams. They view players in a prism, looking only at their individual skills and not whether they are capable of applying them to manufacture wins as well as good-looking box score lines. Anthony Davis was the star on a 4-17 and high school team. Markel Fultz was the star on a Washington State team that didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Now granted, for AD, he was on a high school team in Chicago, which is a, has a pretty good high school basketball scene. But think about it. If you're that big, and he already was in high school, and athletic, and you're headed to Kentucky, shouldn't you be capable of putting a team on your back and at least having a winning record? I'm convinced it's how the biggest misfires on draft night come to be. Players are picked strictly on their physical potential, not indicators that they don't know how to apply their physical skills to playing winning basketball. And they, there's a special category for guys like Chris Stapps and AD. The bigs with guard skills, with ball handling skills, with a jump shot, those are the ones that people seem to get the most excited about and more often than not don't come through. They're, they end up having, being NBA players and having decent careers. And I'm not saying that AD was a miss by any stretch. But in looking at his history of being passive or injured or both, it's not hard to see that that personality was there all along. Phil Jackson is responsible for making Porzingis the fourth pick of the 2015 draft, but he was gone by the time they dealt him. Or rather, gave in to his wishes to be moved. I should put that another way. Preempted him after he made his wishes to be moved clear. Porzingis was injured at the time, and he vowed to go home to Latvia and not come back if the Knicks didn't deal him to one of his preferred destinations. I have the list of the teams that he gave them on a notebook in a cabinet somewhere, but I can't recall them off the top of my head. All I can tell you is that Dallas was not one of those teams, and the Mavs pulled the trigger on the deal not knowing if they'd be able to re-sign him. Owner Mark Cuban apparently convinced he could win Porzingis over. Offering him a five-year max deal worth $160 million can be really persuasive, especially for someone who showed early on that he might be injury-prone. Now, the Knicks deserve credit for this. 
Porzingis tried to play hardball with them, and they called his bluff. He thought that he was going to go where he wanted to go, and that they were going to work off of his timeline. And they basically jumped the gun and said, oh, we just traded you to Dallas. It's up to you whether you want to show up or not. And faced with, again, injured, how was he going to potentially earn a five-year, $160 million extension? Dallas being willing to make the deal for him, sight unseen, made it clear that they were looking to pair him with Doncic, and he had a very good chance of, of getting that deal. So, Porzingis ultimately blinked. Now, when it comes to his injury proneness, he showed early on that it might be the case. And I'm not talking early on in his NBA career, but in his professional career over in Spain. Not long after turning pro, he was diagnosed with a low red blood cell count, resulting in him often feeling unduly fatigued and sleepy and having performances that he complained could have been better. Or at least, that's what he said. Kristaps was one of those young players who always seemed to be wishing he'd played harder or better in a big game. A young player recognized and celebrated for his potential, but not his accomplishments. What is galling is that Kristaps should know better than anyone what Doncic accomplished over in Europe because they both played in the same Spanish league. Only Doncic starred on the best team in the league, Real Madrid, which routinely finished 15 or more games ahead of Sevilla in the standings. And that they weren't over there at the same time. Kristaps' last year in the Spanish league was Doncic's first year with Real Madrid, and he didn't play a lot that first year. He was still incredibly young. But all that said, Kristaps knew with all the accomplishments, the MVPs, the scoring, everything, he has to know in his heart there's no comparison between who he is as a player and who Doncic is. So the idea that he wants to be on the same stage or on the same level or treated the same way with the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA is either delusional or a demand simply because that's how he wants to be treated. And maybe this is the real tell. Sevilla improved to 14-20 and 20 the year after Kristaps left with former Rocket Bastian Nakbar, Boki, as their leading scorer. So now the Mavericks are dealing with all that. A low-energy player who wants to be treated like a franchise cornerstone. That's not going to serve anyone well. I just want Knicks fans and anyone else who killed Steve Mills and Scott Perry and the rest of the Knicks front office for moving Chris Stapps at the time to pay attention to what the Dallas Mavericks ultimately get when they move Chris Stapps Porzingis. And they will move him. It'll probably be pennies on the dollar, but they're going to try to move him. And I assure you, they're not going to get anything close to what the Knicks ultimately got for Porzingis in the deal with Dallas. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Before I go, I guess I have to address the Bucks losing the first two games of their second round series with the Nets and losing them badly. All this after James Harden re-injured his hamstring in the opening minute or minutes of game one. And after the game one loss, I felt that Bucks coach Mike Budenholzer had and would make the kind of change Ty Lue made with the Clippers, going small in order to switch and keep fresh bodies on Luka Doncic. I felt the Bucks needed to employ a similar strategy with Kevin Durant. For the Clippers, it meant not playing Avica Zubac. For the Bucks, it would mean not playing Brook Lopez. It's nothing against Brook. I just have come to believe that what Shaq and Charles and even one or two NBA scouts suggested to me, Shaq and Charles, speaking of the inside the NBA TNT crew, and also former big went big men of some 10 20 years ago i just believe that their idea that the bucks should stay big and punish the nets around the rim is antiquated thinking the nets don't care if lopez goes 8 for 11 for 19 points or even if giannis makes 14 of his 19 two point shots for 34 points or the bucks win the battle of scoring in the paint 72-48 as they did in game one, or even the battle of the boards 58-47. That's the way the game used to be played. That, those were the hallmarks of winning basketball in the postseason when Shaq and Charles played. It's not now. I mean, look, the Nets care about not giving up quite as many offensive boards as they did in game one because it resulted in 20 second-chance points for the Bucks. But other than that... They're not worried if they lose the rebounding battle. The battle they really care about winning is at the three-point arc. Defending the shot and making it. And it's why they've won the first two games rather handily. While the Bucks went 6-for-30 on threes in game one, the Nets made 15-of-39. That's 27 more points on threes and nearly double the efficiency in getting them. And I'll give them this. They did a really nice job of getting out to those three-point shooters. And again, Bucks helped them because their ball movement is not existent. The difference was even more lopsided in Game 2. The Nets buried 21 threes, making 50% of their tries, while the Bucks finished an anemic 8 for 27. That's a difference of 39 points on threes alone. Now, why is this happening? It's remarkable how similar the Bucks' issues are to the Clippers in the first two games. The Clippers were hunting for particular matchups, just as the Bucks were, and coming to a complete stop once they found one, resulting in it not being a one-on-one matchup, but a one-on-one with a set defense between that battle and the basket. They also are painfully slow on their defensive rotations. Not all that surprising when you have Lopez and 36-year-old P.J. Tucker trying to close out on the perimeter. 
I just can't believe I'm watching the same Bucks team that played so physically tough with so much energy and ball movement to sweep the heat in their first round. Their casual approach on defense, particularly from some of their best defenders, is astonishing. Drew Holiday, where are you, brother? It's so bad that Landry Shamit was getting physical in Game 2 with a few of the Bucks. And if Landry Shamit is punking you, that's like a blue check next to your soft label. I have little hope that the Bucks can turn this series the way the Clippers did. The Clippers at least showed signs of life in those first two games. Lou made his first big adjustment in Game 3, moving Pat Beverly to the bench and playing Avica Zubac less. So let's see if Budenholzer adopts a similar strategy in Game 3. I've known Bud since he was an assistant coach with the Spurs. We played pickup hoops together. I've never seen him so drained and seemingly in a fog as he was during Game 2. There was no rhyme or reason to the Bucks' offense. And I know Nets fans want to believe their defense caused all that, but sorry, I can't give that to you. The Nets were active, but the Bucks made it so easy on them. Giannis and Chris Middleton especially, taking random shots from random places. No thought of trying to get to the free throw line when their shots weren't falling. If Bud was preaching ball and player movement, the team sure wasn't hearing it. His interview after the first quarter was painful, in part because he seemed unable to identify what was wrong or how to fix it. Maybe he was just giving the usual pat answers to get through the interview. He did work for Pop for many years after all, but it wasn't a good look. Where Pop might give rote answers, he delivered them with a certain haughty anger and intensity that made you feel he was still very much in charge and engaged in getting his team to the finish line first. He just didn't want to be bothered with being interviewed while he was focused on getting that done. Only one quarter in, and Bud had the look of a man who just wanted it to be over so he could go back to his hotel room and crawl under the covers. We'll see if he, in going home and sleeping in his own bed, if that changes things. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings and those reviews help people find this podcast. So if you think it's a good podcast and you think people would benefit from hearing it, then rate it and review it and you'll be making the world a better place. Got another couple of sweet matchups on tap with the Hawks and the Sixers Lining up for Game 2 in their series. The Hawks surprising the Sixers in Game 1. And the Clippers and the Utah Jazz squaring off. Give us an indicator on who might just be the best team in the Western Conference. We'll get to that. All of that. Well, maybe some of that in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.